Everyone, you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. For Marcus Lopez, I'm your host, Larry Smith. On today's program, highlights from the 54th Annual National Day of Mourning that took place on what is known as the Thanksgiving Day holiday at Coles Hill above Plymouth Rock in Plymouth, Massachusetts. We'll hear from indigenous peoples across Turtle Island and more. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. You can hear when the moon shines bright, the lone through air in the black of the night. You can hear, you can hear the whisper in the valley. Mm-hmm. And you know when come a cunny blows to the bar who drum. Since 1970, indigenous peoples and their allies annually gather on Coles Hill in what is known as Plymouth, Massachusetts, to commemorate a national day of mourning on the United States Thanksgiving Day holiday. Many Native American peoples do not celebrate the arrival of the pilgrims and other European settlers. In fact, the settler colonial Thanksgiving Day is a reminder of the genocide of millions of Native American peoples, the theft of indigenous peoples' traditional homelands, and the erasure of Native American cultures. Participants in the annual National Day of Mourning honor Indigenous peoples' ancestors, Native Americans' resilience and resistance, and our vitality and adaptability for survival. It is also a day of remembrance and spiritual connection, as well as a protest against the violent forms of settler colonialism, racism, and oppression that Indigenous peoples continue to experience worldwide or across Mother Earth. Today on American Indian Airwaves, we bring you highlights from the 54th Annual National Day of Mourning that took place on November 23rd of 2023. And now, the 54th Annual National Day of Mourning. Melissa Harding Ferretti is the chairwoman of the Herring Pond Wampanoag Tribe, and this is their territory where we are right now. She couldn't be with us here today, but she did ask us to say a few words before we began. Today, we give thanks to the sacred place, what is known as Plymouth, that lies beneath our feet and is at the heart of what we call the Wampanoag Nation and the, tr- and the traditional homelands of the Herring Pond Wampanoag tribe. Our ancestors are buried here and our descendants can still be found here today, along with the many other kinship tribal communities and direct descendants throughout the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. The Herring Pond Wampanoag tribe is one of the few remaining historic tribes in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts today. As Wampanoag people, our history is well documented 
and interwoven with the early history of colonization in the Northeast. Of the thousands of acres of land set aside by the Plymouth Colony for the Herring Pond Tribe in 1655, only a few parcels and our 1838 Pondville Meeting House remain. We are still fighting to reclaim what we can. May you never forget the first peoples of this land. Our first speaker will be my co-leader, Keisha James. Keisha is an enrolled member of the Aquino Wampanoag tribe and is also Lakota, and she is the granddaughter of Wamsara Frank James. Good afternoon, sisters, brothers, and siblings. Once again on so-called Thanksgiving Day, United American Indians of New England and our supporters are gathered on this hill to observe a national day of mourning for the indigenous people murdered by settler colonialism and imperialism from Turtle Island to Palestine. Today marks the 54th time we have gathered here to mourn our ancestors, tear down settler mythologies, and speak truth to power. National Day of Mourning came into existence 53 Thanksgivings ago when my grandfather, an Aquinawampanoag man named Wamsutta Frank James, was invited by the Commonwealth of Massachusetts to speak at a banquet celebrating the 350th anniversary of the arrival of the Pilgrims. The organizers of the banquet no doubt imagined that Wamsutta would sing the praises of the American settler colonial project and thank the pilgrims for bringing civilization to these shores. However, the speech that Wamsutta wrote, which was based on historical fact rather than the sham version of history perpetuated in the Thanksgiving myth, was a far cry from complimentary. In his speech, Wamsutta not only named atrocities committed by the pilgrims, but he also reflected upon the fate of the Wampanoag at the hands of settler invaders. Wamsutta's speech contained a powerful message of Native American pride. Our spirit refuses to die, wrote Wamsutta. Yesterday we walked the woodland paths and sandy trails. Today we must walk the macadam highways and roads. We are uniting. We stand tall and proud, and before too many moons pass, we'll right the wrongs we have allowed to happen to us. When state officials saw an advanced copy of Wamsutta's speech, they refused to allow him to deliver it, saying that the speech was too inflammatory. They told him he could speak only if he were willing to offer false praise of the pilgrims. The organizers even offered to write a speech for him, one which would better fit with their settler narrative. But Wamsutta refused to have words put into his mouth. His suppressed speech was printed in newspapers across the country, and he and other local Native activists began to plan a protest. The flyer for this protest, which was circulated nationwide, read, What do we have to be thankful for? The United American Indians of New England have declared Thanksgiving Day to be a national day of mourning for Native Americans. 
On so-called Thanksgiving Day, 1970, Wamsutta and members of at least 25 tribes, as well as a sprinkling of non-native allies, gathered here on this hill and observed the first National Day of Mourning. Attendees spoke out about the pilgrim invasion and conditions in Indian country, marched around Plymouth, boarded the Mayflower too, and even buried Plymouth Rock in sand. One leader of the American Indian movement would later say of the first National Day of Mourning that it is a day American Indians won't forget. We went to Plymouth for a purpose, to mourn since the landing of the pilgrims the repression of the American Indian, and to indict the hypocrisy of a system which glorifies that repression. The founders of National Day of Mourning could not have foreseen that generations would continue to gather here year after year, carrying on this tradition. Many of the elders who stood on this hill and organized the first National Day of Mourning are no longer with us, but we feel their spirits guiding us today. So, why do so many people, native people, object to the Thanksgiving myth? According to this myth, the pilgrims, seeking religious freedom, landed on Plymouth Rock. The Indians welcomed them with open arms and then conveniently faded into the background and everyone lived happily ever after. The end. Here is the truth. First, the pilgrims are glorified and mythologized because the circumstances of the first permanent English colony in North America, Jamestown, were too ugly to hold up as an effective national myth. Pilgrims and Indians are a much more marketable story than settler cannibalism. Second, the pilgrims came here as part of a commercial venture. They didn't need religious freedom. They already had that back in the Netherlands. The Mayflower Compact was merely a group of white men who wanted to ensure they would get a return on their investment. Third, when the pilgrims arrived, on Outer Cape Cod, by the way, not on that pebble down the hill, one of the first things they did was to rob Wampanoag graves at Corn Hill and steal as much of their winter provisions of corn and beans as they were able to carry. Fourth, some Wampanoag ancestors did greet the pilgrims and save them from starvation. And what did we, the indigenous people of this continent, get in return for this kindness? Genocide, the theft of our lands, the destruction of our traditional ways of life, slavery, starvation, and never-ending oppression. Fifth, the first official Thanksgiving did not take place in 1621, when the pilgrims had a harvest-time meal provided largely by the Wampanoag. Instead, the first Thanksgiving was declared in 1637 by Governor Winthrop of the Massachusetts Bay Colony to celebrate the massacre of over 700 Pequot men, women, and children on the banks of the Mystic River in Connecticut. Subsequent slaughters of indigenous people would be celebrated by a day of Thanksgiving, and yet we are labeled as savages in the history books. So why does any of this matter? It is simple. When people perpetuate the myth of Thanksgiving, they are not only erasing our genocide, but also celebrating it. We did not simply fade into the background as the Thanksgiving myth says. We have survived and flourished. We have persevered. The very fact that you are here is proof that we did not vanish. Our very presence on this land frees the land from the lies of the history books and the myth makers. 
We will remember and honor all of our ancestors in the struggle who went before us. We will speak truth to power as we have been doing since the first National Day of Mourning in 1970. That first National Day of Mourning was a powerful demonstration of Native unity, and it has continued for all these years as a powerful demonstration of the unity of all people who speak truth to power. Many of the conditions that prevailed in Indian country in 1970 still prevail today. In 1970, our average life expectancy was just 44 years. Today, we continue to have the lowest life expectancy of any group in the U.S., and the death rate for Native women has increased 20% over the last 15 years. In 1970, our suicide and infant mortality rates were the highest in the country. This has not changed. All of us are struggling under the oppression of a capitalist system which forces people to make a bitter choice between heating and eating. And we will continue to gather on this hill until we are free from this oppressive system, until corporations and the U.S. military stop polluting the earth, until we dismantle the brutal apparatus of mass incarceration. We will not stop until the oppression of our LGBTQ siblings is a thing of the past, until unhoused people have homes, until human beings are no longer locked in cages at the U.S. border, despite the fact that no one, no one is illegal on stolen land. Until no person goes hungry or is left to die because they have little or no access to quality health care. Until insulin is free. Until union busting is a thing of the past. We will not stop until Palestine is free. Until, until the U.S. ends its colonial occupations of Puerto Rico and the sovereign kingdom of Hawaii. Until the U.S. ends its interventions in Haiti and repays the billions it stole from the Haitian people. Until the U.S. pays reparations to black Americans. Until lands back for Native nations. Until then, the struggle will continue. In 1970, we demanded an end to the Bureau of Indian Affairs. It is still a demand today. Native nations and peoples do not need the federal government to govern ourselves or take care of our own lands. As we did in 1970, we mourn the loss of millions of our ancestors and the devastation of the land, water, and air. We condemn all acts of violence and terrorism perpetuated by all governments and against all innocent peoples worldwide. This includes the myriad crimes of the United States government. Since the invasion of Columbus, indigenous people have been terrorized by settler governments. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're listening to indigenous peoples who participated and spoke at the 54th National Day of Mourning. And now back to the program. From the colonial period to the 21st century, this has entailed torture, massacres, systemic military occupations, and the forced removals of indigenous peoples from their ancestral homelands. Let us not forget that this country was founded on the ideology of white supremacy, the widespread practice of African slavery, and a policy of genocide and land theft. Let us not forget that under the pipelines, skyscrapers, mines, and oil rigs lie the 
the interred bones, sacred objects, and villages of our native ancestors. Today, on liberated territory, we will correct the history of a country that continues to glorify murderers such as Christopher Columbus and that worships slave-owning presidents such as Washington and Jefferson and even carves their faces into the sacred black hills of the Lakota. In 1970, very few people would have given any thought to the fact that the indigenous people of this hemisphere do not look upon the arrival of the European invaders as a reason to give thanks. Today, many thousands stand with us in spirit as we commemorate the 2023 National Day of Mourning. As my grandfather said in 1970, quote, we are now being heard, we are now being listened to. The important point is that we still have the spirit, we still have the unique culture, we still have the will, and most important of all, the determination to remain as Indians. We are determined, and our presence here is living testimony that this is only the beginning of the American Indian, particularly the Wampanoag, to regain the position in this country that is rightfully ours. In the spirit of Crazy Horse, in the spirit of Medicom, in the spirit of Geronimo, above all, to all people who fight and struggle for real justice, we are not vanishing, we are not conquered, we are as strong as ever. My name is Matoi and I'm co-leader of United American Indians of New England. You will see on the march, I don't know if people can hold it higher, we have a brand new United American Indians of New England Palestine banner. It's, it's over there. And that was made just within this past week by our friends Hanan Farouk and their crew. And it's beautiful. And it talks about land back and it says, from Turtle Island to Palestine, colonialism is a crime. In addition to warm greetings to our indigenous relatives from North and South America, we welcome black and Palestinian people to the National Day of Mourning. As well as members of the Two-Spirit LGBTQ plus community. We welcome all of you here from the four directions. As an organization long dedicated to opposing colonialism, we at UAN understand fully that our liberation is intertwined with that of other colonized and oppressed people. We want to express our solidarity with re refugees and migrants, many of them indigenous, who continue to be forced out of their home countries due to US policies. And we continue to insist that the deadly US-Mexican border with its walls and murderous concertina wire is not our border. Right. Looking out here over Plymouth Harbor, it's so beautiful. And it's hard, though, not to think about the environmental destruction that the pilgrims and subsequent waves of settlers have brought with them. For example, just down the road from here, 
there is a now decommissioned nuclear power plant called Pilgrim Nuclear Power Station. It, 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 we have a little rowdy section of, of youth up here. All right. Thank you. And it's good that it's decommissioned, but the problem is that Holtec, the company that's been doing the decommissioning, has been planning for a long time to dump more than a million gallons of radioactive water into Cape Cod Bay. There has been widespread opposition to that because, of course, people don't want that. Meanwhile, though, it turns out that Holtec has been releasing some of that radioactive water into the air in the form of gas. And they clearly plan to release more in that manner. Yet they're not stopped. Down the road a little further, you'll find the Massachusetts coastal pine barrens, one of only three pine barrens left in the world. This incredibly rare and important ecosystem, which formed over thousands of years and which houses hundreds of species of animals and birds, is under threat from sand and gravel mining. Water is life, and we humans are part of that life, but settlers have forgotten this. They largely forget that what we do to the land, we do to ourselves. We, the way to address climate change is not the Green New Deal, nor is it the fake carbon proposals made by nations at places like the big climate conferences, with COP28 coming up right now. So-called sustainable energy sources are rarely sustainable, as indigenous people who protect 80% of the world's biodiversity often bear the consequences. Throughout indigenous territories, land and water are constantly being exploited without the consent of the traditional owners. My mind is drawn to the wind turbines off Martha's Vineyard that were installed without the consent of the stewards of that land, the Aquina Wampanoag tribe. Tribes in Massachusetts need land back. The Mashpee and Aquina Wampanoag and other tribes need land back to rebuild their economies and to be able to bring their people back to their homelands. And we say there is no climate justice on stolen land. For instance, in Nevada, there is a sacred area called Thacker Pass, where a settler massacre of dozens of Paiute people took place in 1865. The pass is also the site of the largest known lithium deposit in the US and one of the largest in the world. A massive mining project on the site by Lithium America was approved by both the Trump and Biden administrations and started construction earlier this year. For those who support it, the mine is an essential component for a U.S. shift to a greener future. But they ignore that the mine threatens irrevocable environmental and historical destruction to the area. We think today, too, and send out our love to our Kanaka Maoli siblings in Hawaii who are, who are continuing to live under colonial occupation who are continuing to experience poisoned water, poisoned by the Navy in the Pearl Harbor area, who are continuing to experience tremendous homelessness and displacement and grief because of the wildfire 
wildfires in, in Maui a few months ago. And, and we know that those fires were really caused by colonization and by taking away the native plants there and everything else that happened as a result of colonization. In so-called Canada, from coast to coast to coast, First Nations, Métis, and Inuit communities are fighting against the effects of colonization. Mi'kmaq people are fighting for their fishing rights once again. Everywhere, people are trying to stop destructive development. Drug deaths are hitting hard in all of our indigenous communities. Missing and murdered indigenous women, girls, two-spirits, trans people, and relatives continues to be a crisis throughout Indian country. I think especially today of the situation in Winnipeg, where a serial killer was known to have dumped bodies of murdered indigenous women in a landfill there. And native people have demanded that the landfill be searched for their bodies. They know there are bodies there. Yet the government, both the provincial and federal governments have refused to do this. Indigenous people throughout Canada know that if a white woman were killed, they would be searching. They would have money for that. So we join them in calling for the landfills to be searched and say that Indigenous women are not trash. Search the landfill! 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 I hope that guy Pierre Trudeau and all those other politicians can hear us right now. So, here in the so-called United States, Native nations achieved a major victory when the Indian Child Welfare Act was upheld earlier this year, and it was a huge relief for all of us. But that law needs to be strengthened and further enforced. And we also must point out that our children are still being snatched and put into foster care in disproportionate numbers, separating thousands of our youth every year from their land and their culture. The theft of children has often been a core tenant of settler colonialism. I, I noticed over the last several weeks that there are actually settlers saying, oh, I see that there's a Palestinian orphan. I'd like to, uh, to adopt a Palestinian orphan. Maybe what they should be doing is working hard to ensure that Palestinian children can stay within their own alive families and can stay within their own country. I want to turn to speaking about Palestine for a bit. Our organization has supported Palestinian resistance for decades, and we pledge never to let our relatives there or here down. 
when you see a genocide happening, whether in Congo or Sudan or Armenia or Palestine, you need to try to do something about it. If you are silent, that is supporting the genocide. And this is a basic principle that I think many of us as parents have taught to our children, yet too many people are still standing by right now, afraid to speak up because of the repression that's being directed against those who stand up and defend Palestine, especially against students, many of whom have been arrested. So I want to tell you that we're honored to have a Palestinian speaker on our program today, and I'm going to explain why, too. From our perspective, Palestinian people are indigenous. What has been happening to Palestinians in Gaza and the West Bank since October is an increase in what has been an ongoing genocide directed against them by the settler colonial state of Israel. But the violence against Palestinians has never stopped in more than 75 years. For instance, 60% of the children of Gaza were malnourished before October because of the conditions of the occupation. And Israel controls not only Gaza's water, but also 80% of the water in the West Bank. What we are witnessing is a resurgence of the ongoing barbaric violence of settler colonialism there. Palestinians have been subject to being killed, imprisoned, assaulted, tortured, starved, denied access to water for years. Right now, a second Nakba or catastrophe has been happening. And if you believe that land back is necessary here, then you need to understand that land back is also necessary for other colonized peoples of the land. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're listening to indigenous peoples who participated and spoke at the 54th National Day of Mourning. And now back to the program. As indigenous people, we understand firsthand that to be a colonized person is to exist under constant violence, physical, cultural, and psychological. We call what is happening in Palestine genocide because that is what it is. You can't take a pause in genocide, nor is this a war, nor are there two armies. We see the same features of manifest destiny and white supremacy that we have experienced weaponized against Palestinians. We speak plainly and say that this is also apartheid. Our organization opposed apartheid in South Africa decades ago, and we oppose it in Palestine now. The pilgrims in Plymouth and the Puritans in Boston were obsessed with the idea that, we, that they were in a wilderness provided for them by their God, as though the land were empty and waiting for them. 
This idea is so embedded that even today, I hear from school children and adults alike that the Europeans brought civilization here and that indigenous peoples were not actually doing anything with the land. The invaders come and they rename the streets and villages and rivers. They actively erase the existence of people who live here and continue to live here. And this certainly sounds familiar to Palestinians. Zionists still speak about Palestine as a land without people for a people without land. And they say even if the land was not empty, it was supposedly full of people who had no real connection to the place, didn't know how to develop and exploit the land the way the Europeans did. And so they lack legitimacy. This propaganda insists that indigenous people lose legitimacy because they are somehow not sufficiently there or they are somehow insufficiently civilized. When I look at Gaza, I see two reflections of all the indigenous people killed in the wave after wave of massacres here in North America, in Congo, in Haiti, in Australia, and Ireland, Puerto Rico, the Philippines, Algeria, people around the world whose only crime has been to exist and resist settler colonialism. And of course, the United States, the unapologetic killer of millions of indigenous, black, and other oppressed peoples supports this. You know, if we the colonized suffer in silence, then we are sometimes considered to be suitable objects of settler pity and charity. But we don't want pity. We want freedom and the restoration of our homelands. We fight back because we must. We fight back by living, having children, loving each other, remembering our true history of who we were and who we still are and who we will be. We fight back for our land because that is part of our bodies too. We fight back in any way we can because the alternative is to become extinct on our own homelands, which is the ultimate goal of settler colonialism. So we know what it's like to be considered animals and savages and to endure generations of ongoing genocide. Colonialism tries to dehumanize us, but we never lose our humanity. I think of the settlers who have often had no trouble killing even our children because they didn't see any of us as fully human. And they continue to tear our families apart. I remember Colonel Chivington from Colorado, who led the Sand Creek Massacre, said to kill them all, women and children, because nits make lice. And that is exactly the sentiment that we are hearing now from Netanyahu and many others in Israel as they justify the massacre of thousands of children and their families as they now openly even support the spread of infectious diseases to kill off even more Palestinians. 
As indigenous peoples, we resist the violence and erasure of settler colonialism and the attempts to dehumanize us until we can fully become ourselves who we're meant to be through liberation. Like, like indigenous people here, Palestinians themselves must decide what they want for their future and how they will resist. It is absolutely not for outsiders to decide that for them. We also know there is greed underlying what is happening. Greed for the land, greed to control the water, greed for gas and oil and other resources. We call out genocide Joe Biden and nearly all the politicians in the US and Canada, Canada, in Britain and elsewhere who have been supporting genocide and providing billions of dollars in funding and weapons, filling their own pockets and the pockets of the manufacturers. We cannot, we cannot appeal to the morality of our colonial oppressor because they have none. We have to make things uncomfortable for them so they can't go out to eat, they can't do anything without being called out for their support. But we, we are in relationship with each other and we are in relationship with the land. As indigenous people, the land is part of our bodies, our stories, everything we are. The land, the rivers, and seas and lakes of Palestine await the return of the Palestinian people. So today, on US Thanksgiving Day, we say that we will not be thankful for these crimes against humanity laid bare for the whole world to see. We will not be thankful for the billions of dollars stolen from us, money that could be going to housing and education and food on tables, and instead that is flowing out in aid to the war criminal state of Israel. We will not be thankful for the ongoing destruction of our beautiful planet. We feel the struggle of Palestinian people and of all indigenous peoples in struggle in our hearts and in our bones. Today, we are asking you to mourn and to listen. But tomorrow, we ask you to use your heartbreak and your rage to fuel your action to make this end. A ceasefire is not enough. A ceasefire is the bare minimum. The Palestinian people, the Palestinian people need reparations to rebuild. Occupation and settlements must end. US aid to Israel must end. Palestine must be free. So, you know, we have, a, we have a crew that came here today from so-called British Columbia, which, so-called, and um, we're, we're thrilled that they're here, and we invited Harriet Prince, who is 82 years old, a 
well-known powwow dancer on the circuit in Canada all summer long, and who is also a residential school survivor. And we asked her to say some words to us today. So please listen to Harriet Prince. So talk right into the mic. Hello, everybody. I'm glad to be here. That was quite a trip from uh, Vancouver. Three of us came, my daughter and my other adopted daughter. I mean, Mekinak and Dishinikas, I come from a little res called uh, Saging in Manitoba. <laughs> what I said there was my, na my inner name is Mekinak, meaning turtle. And that's how I move, if you noticed. <laughs> I'm a, uh, my my uh, clan is Caribou. I'm a Nishinaabe from Manitoba, a residential school survivor of 13 years. I went, I went to three. I went to three residential schools. I was four years old when I was taken away and didn't get out. Till I was 17, I didn't go home all those years. So I was uh, robbed of family love and all, and all that, but I survived. <laughs> Still here. My, my little sister was three years old and my, my brother was six years old. We went to three, uh, yes, I mentioned that before. When we got there, we got bathed, we got took our clothes away, cut our hair, and the first three nights they put DDT in our hair. Can you imagine that? And they put in the DDT in our hair and wrapped our hair in turban style, and turban style, and we slept that way for a long time. And the awful smell of that. Anyway, I got some notes here to remind me. Yeah, when we went, when we went to uh, put us to bed, we could hear little girls crying. We were lonely, we were scared. We didn't know where we were. I was four years old, my sister was three. And we wondered, when's our mom and dad coming for us? They didn't come, they didn't come till I was 17 years old. I didn't see them till I was 17 years old. Um, we only went to school for half a day. I was four years old, maybe when I was seven and they started they got me to start scrubbing floors on my hands and knees, sometimes with a toothbrush. What saved me was Elvis Presley. <laughs> my hair, my brush was just going in with Elvis Presley there. <laughs> that was in 56, I think. I was 12, I don't know. what. You do the math. <laughs> yeah, I don't, do, I don't remember too much of the school, the, the classrooms and that, because because we only went half a day, and my education wasn't that. We didn't get all that much education half a day of school. The rest, we, did, we had to do housework, sewing, scrubbing floors, and laundry. Yes, but I was, I was get, as, as I was getting older, I started learning from, uh, from the, the older girls how, how to behave, how to listen. So I was scared. I, I was scared to get punished. So I listened and and hid most of the time from the staff because I didn't want to be slapped or hit around again for speaking my language. And I 
to this day, I, I, I fully understand, well, mostly understand my native language, Anishinaabe, Ojibwe, but I can, speak it, I can speak it if I had to save my life. <laughs> my, uh, I had two, two close friends, and uh, we decided we're going to run away. We didn't last long. They came and found us, and, uh, and we got strapped, of course, and uh, we had welts up to our up to our arms up here. We still had to go to school that way and we wore long sweaters. Thank you. Needed to hear that. Um, they made us go to church quite, quite often and all I heard in church was death, death. And in our, in our culture, we talk about life, life. When I was, when I was, uh, when I was, I was scared. They, they, they talked the, the fear of, fear of God in me. And I was scared to die. What am I, I hope to live to be an old, old woman. I didn't want to die. Because <laughs> they, they put that fear of God in me and the fear of death in me. Now I'm ready. Creators, I'm, re I'm ready because it's going to be a good life up there. Yeah. We'll see my, we'll see the ancestors. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're listening to Indigenous peoples who participated and spoke at the 54th National Day of Mourning. And now back to the program. After I got out of uh, residential school, finally at 17. I went straight to work. I didn't know there was such thing as welfare, which I didn't go on, of course. Anyway, I got married, and I got three children. My oldest is sitting there, Marla Prince. And she used to live in Boston here, and that's how I got to know this, this gathering. And then she comes here when, yeah, she brought me here. And oh, my God, look at the ocean. Beautiful out there. Thank you. When I heard when I heard about the 215 uh, in the Kamloops area, Marla had asked me to do a prayer for her for her uh, organization, and then that's when I heard about the 215 in the middle of my prayer. I had to break down and said prayers for the little the little ones, and uh, and in uh, Kawasis there was another. On Mark Grace found 751 of them. And on my way to uh, Manitoba, I dropped Marla off in Regina. She had her siblings, she had to go visit some of her siblings. And around about an hour out of Regina, south of, west of Regina, east of Regina, I was bound and determined to go find those uh, on Mark Graves. In the meantime, Marla's all worried about me because uh, she thought I wouldn't know, wouldn't find them. But I was bound and determined to go find find those unmarked graves and pay my uh, respects. Put my tobacco down. I sat there, put my tobacco down, prayed and cried, and talked to the ancestors. It's it's, it's so sad, sad. And there's more. There's more schools, there's more, there's more on my graves out there. It could very well have been my little sister or myself that would have been in those, down, down one of those on my graves, but we were lucky. 
we, we got away. I'm not very good at this uh, speech that often, but thank you. <laughs> I did. <laughs> when, when, when she asked, Marla, I said no first, and then I slept on it. And just as I was sleeping, and just as I was waking, I heard a voice say, just do it. <laughs> that was my ancestors. <laughs> anyway, uh, any fellow survivors out there, residential school survivors? Anyway, we as uh, residential school survivors, as residential school survivors, Truth helps us survive. And uh, that's my, my, uh, my inner name is uh, Mickinac Turtle. And, and there are 13, st 13 stages of truth. And uh, uh, as you know, the turtle has 13 uh, panels on his back, and each, each panel represents a different kind of truth. Also, it represents our 18 moons of the month. And our spirit, our spirit is what holds our bodies together. Our anger, I call it righteous anger. Because uh, we have to work on getting rid of this anger, which I'm still working on today. Because from four years old to 17, my childhood was taken away, my family. All the love I should have been having was taken away. So it's very hard for me to forgive also. And that's what still I'm working on. It will take a while. Forgiveness is another, another hard thing to do as survivors. But through ceremony, we can overcome this. Culture saved Ceremonies and the culture saved my life. This is how I'm able to stand here because of the Creator and the ancestors. My my brother and sister they have gone on now and left and they, they talk to me. I know they're they're with me all the time. And also, I just lost my only son. He was my baby, and uh, he sends me dimes all the time. And I know he's there. And uh, Sean Leonard, we went to see Sean Leonard, and they did come through. And then they're happy. They're in a happy place. They're all sitting in the green grass, my family there. They're having a great time. I'm anxious to go up there and join them now. <laughs> Okay, love, love also. We must first forgive ourselves in order, in order for us to feel love, to love ourselves first, and then work on forgiveness, which is very hard for me. Yeah. Love also, we must forgive ourselves, and then everything comes, comes with love. Learning to love oneself, open the day. Learning to love ourselves again. I have learned these later in my life, all these, uh, all these uh, ceremonies and my culture. I didn't get to learn all these till I got, I met, I, uh, geez, Harriet, smart enough. <laughs> anyway, I, uh, 
met this elder in my, I was 55 years old, and that's when I really truly learned my culture, started going to sweats and all these ceremonies, and, and then uh, my spirit woke up. So I've been feeding my spirit with the, these ceremonies, and that's how I survived. They didn't get rid of the Indian in me. I'm still here. Thank you. <laughs> Jali Naru, who is going to bring us a message from Leonard Peltier. Taigwei di ituno kena diatia ono diri chali naru bori ken taino daka kena guai nia yuka yeke bori ken United Confederation of Taino People kabos yaha. I wanted to begin sharing a few words in my indigenous language, which is not English nor Spanish or any other colonial language. I was taught by my elders that it is respectful to begin in this way. So in translation, good day, my brothers and sisters. My name is Chali Naru. I am a citizen of the Guainia Taino tribe. I am a liaison of the United Confederation of Taino People. And I am so happy and honored to be here with all of you today. Ha home. As a Taino woman, a mother, and grandmother, yeah, I am a BB, and a Massachusetts representative of the United Confederation of Taino People, I stand here in solidarity with the indigenous peoples of these lands and our allies. We Taino people know what it is to know what it is like to have settler days forced upon us. Last month of the U.S. celebrated the coming of the Christ-bearing colonizer Christopher Columbus to this side of the world. Children in grade schools are introduced to this whitewashed version of history every year with no understanding of the pain he and his crew caused my ancestors. This is an injustice, just as the whitewashed version of the so-called Thanksgiving holiday is an injustice to the memory of these ancestors of the indigenous peoples of this land. Thanksgiving, really? More like Thanksgiving. As Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, an injustice anywhere is an injustice everywhere. In closing, we, the United Confederation of Taino People, remain thankful for those who work so hard to offer alternatives to these false histories like the National Day of Mourning and Indigenous Peoples Day across the country. As indigenous peoples, we are resilient, and we're still here! I am proud to stand here with you again and say, Seneco Kakona, abundant blessings to all. Ha home, thank you. We have a statement to National Day of Mourning once again from our beloved brother, native political prisoner, Leonard Peltier. Thanks to Talia Yarina, Carol Cachimuel, from NDN Collective for providing us with an update about Leonard's case. She unfortunately could not be here because she had to travel early to preliminary meetings at COP28. In 1977, Leonard Peltier, an American Indian movement member from the Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa, was framed up and sentenced to two life terms in connection with the deaths of two FBI agents, Jack Kohler and Ron Ronald Williams, on South Dakota's Pine Ridge Reservation two years earlier. Peltier 
had been a part of the 1973 Wounded Knee occupation to protest the Oguala Sioux tribe's corrupt government and the federal government's failure to honor treaties. Even the FBI's own ballistics evidence showed that Leonard was not the shooter, but that and other evidence was suppressed by prosecutors at the trial. Yeah, of course. Leonard Peltier is now 79 years young and in his 48th year of unjust incarceration for nearly five decades indigenous activists organizers and allies have rallied behind the fight to free Leonard Peltier between the numerous constitutional violations that took place throughout Leonard Peltier's trial the outright racism his ongoing health concerns and his fragile state as an elder, it's hard to fathom and grasp how we're all still here advocating for his release in Plymouth and other NDOM. We have used our platform every single year to raise up the unjust incarceration of Leonard. The moment of silence is over. And that wraps up highlights from the 54th Annual National Day of Mourning held on November 23rd of 2023 in what is colonially known as Coles Hill above Plymouth Rock in Plymouth, Massachusetts. That concludes our show for today here on American Indian Airwaves. A special thank you to our guest. A special thank you to our musical guest, Aragon Star, Koopa Aina, and the band Blackfire. American Indian Airwaves is mixed and mastered in the studios of Burnt Swamp Studios in Signal Hill, California. For Marcus Lopez, I've been your host for the hour, Larry Smith. Until next time. The moment of silence is over. Why your freedom manifests on their graves And the blood never comes clean from their guilty minds Nor the hands that hold the chains Silence is over.